0: We talked about yesterday, definitely you want to see it, how to get out of the ditch of debt, the priority of that, uh, can you go into debt? We even talked about that. Can you go into debt and not be in sin? The answer is yes, but you need to know why and you need to know how to do that. And then we talked about the work-life balance. That was what a lot of it was how to work, how much to work, how how much to rest, what's the balance there. Um, but it's not just what you do physically, it's also what you do spiritually. And I said that a lot of people are still actually being very lazy spiritually, even though they work very hard physically, and they're accountable for that, and it's, and it's hurting their life. So we talked about that. Go watch yesterday if you haven't. And uh, today we're talking about these two things specifically. In the rest of Proverbs chapter 6, does the Lord hate? Does the Lord hate things? And then we're going to talk about the way to life, and he lays it out very clearly. Let's start at verse 12. Now, before we jump in, I was thinking about this this morning, and it's very interesting because you'll notice in the Bible that a lot of teaching and preaching is correction, or helping us to stay on a track. And I was thinking about this is, you know, because you'll watch people sometimes will wonder things like this why doesn't our church fill up? Why doesn't, uh, why don't we have, you know, 200,000 viewers like some really dumb video producer does? It does really dumb videos and everybody likes it and subscribes. Uh, The reason is because a lot of times when you see mass numbers, there's no accountability there. There's no responsibility. There's no accountability. The thing about Christianity is it holds the person accountable, and you'll find that the people that really enjoy things like that, people that really enjoy things like that, are ones that want to get ahead, well, that is not the majority. The majority of people are are actually very happy being comfortable. Now imagine that if you had a whole society that basically subconsciously taught people just be comfortable, just do what I tell you to do, You don't stick out, don't be above the norm, just go along with everybody, you would actually funnel the majority of society into a very There, uh, we heard that one. (laughs) Kevin's outside. Um, If you actually funneled all of society into that, you're actually funneling them into a very ungodly state. Why? Because the Bible really speaks of personal responsibility, it is not a book of comfort to a corrupted flesh it's a book of submitting the flesh crucifying the flesh who wants to do that in our society today now the thing is if you don't crucify the flesh then you're going to have problems so for example <laughs> for example um, when let's say this Let's say that I never was disciplined with my flesh and I just ate junk food and sodas all the time. Well, am I going to enjoy that? Well, if I like food, yes, I'm going to enjoy that. My body's going to enjoy it. My brain's going to like the feelings that are produced by that. But as you go down the road, you're going to put on weight. That weight is going to cause your organs to overwork which means that shortens the end of your life. That weight is going to put pressure and extra weight on your joints and everything. Everything is going to start to break down sooner. In other words, our lives will not be as blessed as they could be because I did not crucify the flesh earlier on. Well, it's the same way in every spiritual situation. I notice in Proverbs, there's a lot. The reason why I want to open with this is, There's a lot of correction. There's a lot of discipline. And I'd like for us to go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. Because this this becomes a very important point for us to grab a hold of. Because we, we have this idea that at some point we'll stop being corrected. And the only point that that really comes to is... When we become like Christ, when we walk in the fullness of Christ, if we're not walking in the fullness of Christ, there's still correction because but if we're not walking in the fullness of Christ, we won't be walking at the full blessing. And God loves us, and he disciplines those that he loves. So God's going to try and help us always walk at the best. It's always the easiest. It's always the lightest. It's always the best. It's the best all the time. And God knows that because of his wisdom and his love for us. So he wants to get that to us. But what does that mean for us? What that means for us is that we now have to make a choice. We have to choose. Do I want to listen to this discipline that my flesh is not going to like so that I can be blessed in the future or do I just want to keep doing what my flesh likes? So I can either be blessed in the future or I can be blessed now and that's the temptation of sin and that's the temptation of not following discipline and not following correction and reproof. And this is something that we have to come to terms with because if we don't come to terms with it and we don't decide, look, I'm doing this for you, Lord, I love you, and I'm going to do what I need to do regardless of what, how my flesh feels about it, then you're always going to struggle. And and all of life is going to be a struggle because you didn't just deep dive into the discipline and correction of the Lord. And it's always gonna be that way. I'll have people come in and they're like, hey, Pastor, I want you to pray over this. And you know, they won't they want like a magical solution from God. You didn't you didn't go to church, you know, in that period of time. And all of us at some point have messed up, done the wrong thing. So I'm not like picking on somebody in particular. I'm talking about everybody, including myself, you know. We didn't do what we needed to do. We didn't go to church. We didn't study the word. We didn't, you know, study to show ourselves approved. We didn't correct ourselves or judge ourselves. And now we found ourselves in problems. And now God will, you know, God's sitting there and he loves us and he's merciful, but honestly, we're taking advantage of that mercy because we're like, "Oh, I messed it up. Now you fix it." And we really haven't changed our way of thinking. We just go back to do the same thing. I, you know, pastoring, it'll be, I think it's 13 and a half years since we started. It'll be 14 years in January. I've seen it so many times. People have problems. They come into church. God's merciful. They start doing the right things. God is not mocked whatsoever. Man sows that what he will also reap, positive or negative. If he sows positive, he's going to reap positive. And things start working. They start coming out of that ditch. As soon as they get that answer, they stop coming into church. And so what's going to happen? You go down the road six months or 12 months. You're going to be in the same place. The only problem is now you've kind of burnt some bridges and some relationships, or at the very least, you're ashamed. You, I, I, I know I should have done better. I'm ashamed to even step in front of people. And so people fall into this cycle of of just living a below average life. God doesn't want that for us. We have to come to terms with a crucifying of the flesh and a putting down of the flesh and making the right choice. Years ago, I did a series called Options, called Options. And the the point of that series was this. The main point was, as long as you have something that is unsettled in your mind, It's an option, and the devil will keep pressing that option as long as it works. You have to disconnect that from your life. You have to disconnect the options from your life. Make a choice, make a commitment, and and stay plugged in to that commitment. So we'll go into the Word. We'll see what the right option is. We'll choose that option and never go back on it. This is, this is if we see that it's an absolute in the Word of God. For example, the assembling of the saints. That should not be an option to us. We shouldn't say, well, I'm just going to stay home because it's cold outside or it's hot outside or it's perfect outside. That shouldn't be an option to us. I just didn't feel it was so beautiful. I just wanted to sit at the lake house. I didn't want to go to church state. That shouldn't be an option for us. Uh, Why? Because he's commanded us to assemble. But as long as that is an option in our thinking, in our core, the devil will keep pressing that button, And, and it'll constantly be a temptation. So now you have a weight that you don't have to carry. You have a weight of a temptation that should not be there. It makes life hard. It makes it heavy. You feel condemned. We have to come to terms with correction and discipline of the Lord, and we have to we have to determine in our lives and in ourselves this is how I will be, this is what I will do and i'll I'll give you this little key: make that decision when you're not under pressure don't wait to make that decision when you're right in the middle of temptation right don't make that decision right when you 're in the place of temptation because that's, it's going to be much harder to make the right decision at that point. Make, go into the Word, under the anointing, actually see what the Word of God is, and determine these are the things that I will do. These are the things that I will choose. These are the options, and I won't leave room for other options So that when the temptation comes, you don't have a new decision to make. You've already made that decision. It's already set, it's already done. And and by doing that, you make your life so much easier. So, for example, I remember, excuse me, I remember as a young man and a young married man, hold on. I remember as a young married man, uh, you know, first time in my life I've ever been married, you have temptations that come. I can remember it wasn't long where the devil came in, he started tempting me. He you know I'd go I was in sales at that time. I'd walk into a sales office, and there was you know a pretty girl sitting there and and all of a sudden, I'd have thoughts and temptations that would come, and all of a sudden, you know all of these different levels of temptations were there that wasn't there before, and I want to keep to my commitment. Well, I need to make some op- options available. I remember in the story of Joseph, Joseph, when he was tempted with Potiphar's wife, he ran out of that house. Now, you, you could argue he shouldn't have been there in the first place. I would probably agree with you. But I also see in 2 Timothy 2, it says, flee from youthful lust." And so what it says is keep yourself far away from that temptation. You know, distance yourself from the temptation. So what I would do is when I would see that temptation, this is a physical thing that's easy to describe, and I would be, I'd say, I'm not looking at that, right? I don't want to put thoughts in my eyes. Here's the other thing that I'm going to do. If they started talking nice to me, I'm running away from the conversation. Conversation. Maybe I have to talk to them. Okay, I'm going to put my hand up here with my ring on it right in front of my face, and I'm going to start talking about the Lord, and I'm going to start talking about my wife. Right? Why? Because I don't want, and it's not just about me, I don't want extra temptation coming from them. Let me shut that temptation down instantly. And in that process, I was able to keep myself clean, to be clean, and to maybe even stop other people from doing that. We have to set up good decisions in our life, stay away from those moments, stay away from those temptations, and make sure that we are not leaving the devil any options open that should not be open. When we come to terms with options in our life and we come to terms with discipline in our life, our whole life gets so much easier. Our whole life gets so much easier. Our whole life gets so much easier. It is so much easier if we will keep ourselves from temptation. This is one of the reasons why we'll talk about it a lot here is you don't meditate on your feelings. Why? Because your feelings constantly will, uh, will change your mind. They will corrupt you. You're, they will constantly tempt you to go to a place. you don't med- That's why we talk about this. You don't meditate on things that aren't worthy of praise. If they're not worthy of praise, it's only a matter of time, seconds generally, before you're going to be tempted to think something that is not godly this is This is one of the things that we have to see if we'll set ourselves and flee temptations, ditch the options, the ungodly options, our life gets so much easier. Well, how many people in the world could say yes to that? Most everybody could, but how many people actually live that way well now you're now you have boiled it down to a very small minority. Very few people actually live that way. But if we will live that way, man, it opens up so many things. And so when you get into the book of Proverbs, you're talking about constantly the wisdom of God and the wisdom of God is there so that we can be blessed. But the wisdom of God is going to do one thing, show us the way our flesh doesn't want to go. (laughs) Put that in the comments. The wisdom of God is always going to show us the way our flesh does not want to go. And so instead of fighting that or trying to figure out a way to still do those fleshly things, how about if we just ditch the options? How about if we just get rid of that? This verse I told you to pull up, Hebrews twelve eleven, says this, all discipline for the moment seems to not be joyful but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, what I want you to see here is, what's our end goal? Can you imagine a place where we are sitting in the peaceful fruit of righteousness all the time? All the time. You can have that if you will yield to God's discipline in that way. You can have it if you'll yield to it. But know that what I like about this verse is people have this idea, people have this idea that as soon as you go after God, it's going to be all fun and games. And it will to your spirit man. But to your flesh man, it's not going to be fun and games. It's going to be not joyful and even sorrowful. And the Lord tells us that your flesh is not going to like it. Your flesh is not going to like it. It's not going to like it. No matter how you cut it, your flesh is not going to like it. Until you have a glorified body, your flesh is not going to like it. And when we come to terms with that, we say, okay, I know my flesh is not going to like it. And if my flesh starts rearing up, that should give me an indication that there's something godly about that generally. There's something that I need to be doing that my flesh doesn't like. Recognize it. Let it, let it be a marker to you in that way. A lot of times we'll read through it. How many people, you know, think about this. How many people in the world actually want to read through Proverbs? Not very many. Not at this point. Why? Because they like sin. They like the pleasure of sin. They don't want to be disciplined. They don't want to be told that they're wrong. Even if they want to get ahead, even if they want to get ahead, people don't want to be told that they're wrong. And so they've not even disciplined themselves to accept that you can miss it. They haven't disciplined their mind and their flesh's reaction to that. And they'll get offended if you tell them they're wrong. One of the most interesting things is if somebody is believing for something, and uh, you know, you tell them about faith, and they'll say, "Are you telling me I don't have enough faith?" Maybe so, yeah, you know. But they will get offended because you've challenged where they are. But yet, that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. Many leaders, and it, you know, this is a part of the problem. You've had many leaders who have shied away from conflict instead of engaging in healthy conflict. They've, they've never grown in the ability to have conflict without ticking people off. As a, if you're going to be a leader, you need to not shy away from conflict and get better at how you approach it. One of the best ways to do that is learn to ask questions. You know, I learned that with Pastor J.B. Whitfield, Pastor Chris DiCiacio. Ask good questions. Be a very good question asker of questions. And uh, but many people, as leaders, they shy away from conflict. You can't do that. If you shy away from conflict, it immediately weakens the whole organization. But because our leaders have done that, we just think as you know, as followers, we can do whatever we want to do. That everything I think is right. And what that's done is it's funneled us into a place where we are not used to discipline. We're not used to being told, no, that's wrong. We're not used to being told told, uh, that my way is not working, that my way of thinking is incorrect. We're not used to that. So you have a generation of people that are not used to discipline, and because of that, they start stepping away from the blessing and into the manifestation of the curse because they they won't have that peaceful fruit of righteousness because they never gave themselves to discipline. How many people want to read the book of Proverbs? Almost none. Almost none. Well, this is something that needs to change. We need to get it in our head and we need to renew our mind. I need the discipline of the Lord. Why? Because I want a life full of blessing that is a blessing to myself and a blessing to others. I want to walk in a life of anointing, of wisdom, of health and healing and the blessing of God in every area, a full Zoe life of God. I want to walk there, but many people have not resigned themselves to discipline, so they will not walk in those places. They won't walk there. Why? Because God set up a way to walk there, and they are deciding not to walk that path. That way is a way of discipline. You know, the book of Proverbs is not just like all correction. It's a book of wisdom, but that wisdom carries with it correction if we're not doing that. So we ought, to, we ought to love this book. We ought to love this book. And that was actually something we talked about in one of the earlier chapters. We ought to love this book. But I've noticed, even me, and I do love this book. I love the book of Proverbs. But I've noticed, even me as I'm reading through who loves this book, I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of correction. There's a lot of correction. Yeah, it is, because God wants us blessed. He wants us to walk in that blessing. So I hope I've got that point across. You know, I was just thinking about it today, and I thought, you know, how is it that you have somebody that puts out, you know, just crazy videos and they'll have umpteen million subscribers? And uh, you put out something that'll actually change lives and help people, and you'll almost have nobody that's subscribing and listening and doing all that. The reason is people don't want to correct themselves; they don't want to get ahead. That's the that's where the population is, and pretty much Christianity is basically telling you uh, how to tell your flesh no. How many people wants to, How many people wants to hear that at this point in society? Not very many. But our job is not to, okay, well, nobody wants to hear it, so I'm just going to stop. No, our job is if nobody in the world wanted to hear that, and this, imagine this for yourself, not just I'm, I'm imagining it for myself, you imagine it for yourself. If nobody else in the world wanted to uh, give themselves to discipline and throw away the ungodly options, I still should because of what God did for me. I could be the only one in the world, I could be joked on, I could be picked about, but Lord, because of Christ, my life is not my own and I will give myself to you, not just for myself and for my own life to be blessed, but as I give myself to you, I know that the people around me will be blessed, my family will be blessed, and so I give myself to you regardless of if everybody else around me and in the whole world was not doing it. We should have that type of resolve, right? If you think about it, a pastor should not have to talk people into being godly. A pastor should not have to talk people into being self-motivated. A pastor should not have to talk people into reading their Bible or, or desiring to pray or come to corporate prayer. A pastor shouldn't have to talk people into that. Should he teach them those things? Yes, but they, even if they never had a pastor, they should be able to read this word and see that those things are there and say, this is who I want to be. And even if they didn't have a printed Bible, they have a Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is constantly writing that stuff on our heart. We have to give ourselves to discipline and be self-motivated about it without having to have somebody pat us on the back reward us all the time for doing something we should have done anyway. We need to get to that place where we say, Lord, I'm going after you. What is this called? A disciple. Somebody who's disciplined after God, whether anybody is around or not. That's a disciple. And that's what this is all about, is disciplining ourselves after that. Now, it definitely helps if you have people around you that live this type of life because they will help hold you accountable. They will show you even what good comes out of it. They'll say, look at this blessing and look at this blessing and look at what they're walking in. They will show you those blessings and and it should be a manifestation of the promises of God, somebody that you can follow. They will help you. They will go through things ahead of you that they can teach you. I was talking to somebody uh, recently. And one of the things that they were saying, they were saying, these things that took me 20 years to go through, I'm going to be able to pass that on to this other person that I'm discipling in a matter of two or three years. I was like, I know it's the most beautiful plan that God has. So you're not supposed to do it alone, but even if you were alone, we should still be doing that. But because we're not alone, it should be even easier and easier. It Truthfully, there should be so many disciples so many people going after God, but honestly, honestly, we've not been doing this right as the church. So and now think about this. Most people, they expect the pastor, they they expect the pastor to go in and win all the souls, do all the baptizing, do all the preaching, all the hospital visits. They expect the pastor to do all the discipleship and mow the grass too. That, that was very much a standard up until a few years ago, and it's still pretty much the standard now. But you have some people that have revelations. This is not it. When you go into Ephesians 4, it doesn't say that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were to do all the work of the ministry. It says they were to train up people and equip them, equip the people to do the work of the ministry. And so what we should do is say, Pastor, I'm not going to let you do all this stuff by yourself. I will discipline myself so that even if nobody else is doing it, the body of Christ will still grow in this area. Imagine what the body of Christ around the world would look like if the believers took that discipline and responsibility. And then you compare it to what we have right now, and you tell me if we've been doing it properly. And the answer is no, we've not been doing that properly. We've not been doing that. And so when you see this, you start to see, you start to see, okay, we've got to make some changes. Well, where does that, do I change the whole church? No, you just change you. I change me. I work on me, and I I make sure that I have fruit. I make sure that I have fruit. So I can tell today that we're not going to get into the rest of this chapter because we're just not. But what I want to do, we'll we'll finish this uh, tomorrow. We'll finish chapter 6, and we'll start it the same way, and hopefully it'll go different. But what I want to do is I want to open up questions. If you have questions about this, if you have questions about the discipline of the Lord, and you have questions about these things, then I want you to put it in the comments. Am I just going on a rant? And am I just going down a rabbit trail? No, the Holy Spirit brought this up to me as I was leaving the house today. Is that we've got we've got to see that, you know, if Christianity was selling something, which it shouldn't really be selling, it shouldn't really be marketing but it is trying to influence people. If Christianity was uh, selling something, it would basically be that your actions on the earth constantly told the flesh no. And yet, this is what we've been, that sounds like a horrible product to sell. That sounds like a horrible product to sell. And I get it, and I, I understand that. But yet, this is what we've been tasked with. And now the issue is that most people turn it into that and they turn they turn Christianity into legalism and they turn Christianity into the law and a list of to-dos. And that's the way I would say although that's not actually what God tells us to market or to sell. What he tells us to sell is found in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. So let's look there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because if you miss this, if you actually mess this up, then you get yourself and the whole church in a jam. He says, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says, we're made a new creation or a new creature. Verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, or he made us right with himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, our ministry, or what we would be, if, if we put it in this terms, what we're selling or what we're marketing, it would be that God has made us right, that God has made us right. Not that you have to go do a list. Our ministry would be this, verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling or making the world right, to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. All right, so now, this is what we actually, now watch this, this is what we're marketing to the world. Not that they have to be perfect, that what we're marketing to the world is, God loved you so much that he made you right. That's point-blank scripture. Now, here's the other option, though, and this is where we get it fuzzy on the other side of that we actually do have to crucify the flesh and what we sow we will reap what we sow and there is the fruit of the spirit we have to renew our mind so there is through the love of God and through the power of God and through the discipline of God we must change if if Jesus is our lord change will be evident. Change will happen in that way. If Jesus is the director of our life and our Lord, not just the Savior, he's the director. He's the Lord of our life. What he says, I do. Then, And that's what it takes to be born again, not just receiving a Savior, but receiving a Lord. He says, confess with your mouth, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. When you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're believing that everything that took him to the grave is no longer holding him there. And if I'm in him, it's got no hold on me either. And so you see that we went from uh, being the Lord of our own lives to making Jesus the Lord of our own lives. Beyond that point, past that point, is the renewing of our mind and the crucifying of our flesh. And so what's happening now, that's the message to the church. It's the message to the world as well when you tell them that Jesus needs to be your Lord. But the message that God tells us to market basically to the world is that God's made you right. He's not holding your sins against you. But if you actually make them Lord, there's going to be the works of that faith. And the works of that faith is, I want to change my life. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So, a lot of times we're trying to get people to repent and they never actually received his goodness. We get them to receive his goodness, that love empowers them to then change their life and give God back that love. But what we're, so many times what you'll see is you'll see Christians marketing. The crucifying of the flesh to the world who cares nothing about crucifying the flesh, and then you'll see the then you'll see other people that'll try to market to the church that don't worry about your sin. God loves you, and what we've done is we've flip flop the two messages, right? No, the message to the world is, even though you messed up, God loves you. But the message to the church is, now that you've received his love, there are responsibilities of faith and crucifying the flesh, and you should want to do this. Renew your mind to it, and don't leave yourself options of non-discipline and temptation. And so you have the world that thinks the church is harsh, and you have the church thinking that they have no responsibility, like, yeah, the pastor should do all of that, and in the end, you have no fruit. This is not a place that we should live. This is not a place that we should be even... I I shouldn't even be explaining what's happening because we should have never gotten here. However, this is where we are. So how do we change it? Myself, you, we get on fire for God. We go after God with everything that we have. We give ourselves to discipline. We say, Lord, if nobody else around me changes, I'll change. If nobody else is hungry for you... I'll be hungry for you. I will be hungry for you. I'm going after you. Even if nobody around me else does it, I'm going after you. And when we go after him, something changes. If you just stay in your lane, running the race towards God, doing what he's told you to do today, that's all you have to do. But you have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to change. One of the things that I see is that people are constantly amening messages, but they they don't let the message change them. Every message should change us in some way. Every message should change our thinking in some way. Every message should come across to us and and we should say, this changes how I think about this. This changes, this changes this, this changes that. Every message should be that way. And uh, that's something that we need to pay attention to as believers. It's a part of our responsibility. Let us go uh, real quickly and then I'm going to answer questions. Actually, Marky, while you're sitting there, if you'll grab a mic and any questions... Uh, Read them to me, because I didn't follow everything. But go to Romans. She's all prepared to do that, too. Um, She was ready. I'm not putting her on the spot at all. (laughs) Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, some of my favorite uh, verses. Um, I want to read this. Uh, I'll read it in a couple of translations, but Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, this is the Apostle Paul, and the word urge there in the King James, it literally says, I beg you. In other words, this is the Apostle Paul saying, this is so important, I'm begging you to get this. I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, so the mercy of God will help us do, it, do this, even if we didn't have the ability within ourselves. I beg you, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. In other words, I say, Lord, here I am. I have my life. My life is yours. I give it to you. I sacrifice it to you. I give it to you in holiness. I give it to you by doing things your way, not my way. I give myself to you completely and in doing things your way in a way that even you out of your own mouth would say, what you're doing is acceptable to me. This is what he's asking. This is a big big ask. For most people, I would say this is a big ask. Ask without actually having Christ, it's an impossible question to be asking. It's an impossible question to be asking in that way. This is a big ask of somebody if they don't have Jesus. But with Jesus, by his mercies, by his mercies, we can do this. And he says, I want you to sacrifice your life. I want your life to be holy, and I want it to be acceptable out of God's mouth himself. That is, that's a task, right? And then he says this which is your spiritual service of wor- worship. In other words, you can't worship properly if you're not a living sacrifice. If your life, you know, I've watched people over the years, and so people will say, well, I'm a worshiper. Well, I'm, I'm this, I'm this, I'm that. I'm a worshiper. Listen, if your life is not a living sacrifice, you are not fulfilling the fullness of your worship. Everything that you do, you can see from this too that worship is not just surrounded by music. Worship is what we do with our life, right? Worship is what we do with our life. In the King James, it says, this thing, this living sacrifice that I'm asking you to do, this is your reasonable service of worship, as we find out here. This is your reasonable service. In other words, this is reasonable for you to give your life as a living sacrifice to Christ because he gave his, it's absolutely a reasonable request. Every believer should should wholeheartedly be bought into it. It's reasonable, right? Because Jesus cut his life short, I should see it as, Lord, I give you my life. And of course, we already know that as we give our lives to Christ, blessings overflow from that. I mean, blessings overflow out of that. That, it's one of those things, it's like we can't lose by doing these things. We can't lose. Then verse 2 says, and don't be conformed to this world. What does the world say? I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to correct my flesh. I don't want to be disciplined. The world says all of these things, but the Word of God says No. You tell your flesh, no, crucify your flesh, submit your flesh, give it as a living sacrifice. You do this. Don't be transformed or conformed to the world's thinking. Conformed means to be pressed into the mold of the world's thinking. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When we do these things, the world around us starts to prove God's will is good, God's will is perfect, God's will is acceptable. I can accept that. See, this is what the world has been missing from the church is there's not enough testimonies and people that are manifesting the promises of God because they've not given themselves to the discipline of the Lord. They've not given themselves as a living sacrifice And because of this, the world has no examples of the goodness of God enough to get their attention. What if the whole church, just imagine this, the whole church gets a hold of this and their whole life, they are a living example of the goodness of God. Their life starts to prove these things. What happens if we do that? If we do that, if we do that everything changes. Here's the question. What are we waiting on? What are we waiting on? Are we waiting on until you learn more? You don't have to wait on until you learn more. You can start now. Are you waiting on somebody to tell you? Okay? I'm telling you. Go do it. There you go. Now you're not waiting on that anymore. What are we waiting on? <laughs> you know what are, what is it that we're waiting on? God's already told us to do it. We've got to get so on fire for him. We've got to show our love and manifest our love and go after him and stop fighting his holiness. Stop fighting, you know, uh with the flesh. Tell the flesh no. Tell the flesh to shut up. You know, shut up flesh. You know, we've got to stop fighting that. So, amen. I want to get to these questions real quick uh before we end today and so I'm going to let Marky line them up.
1: So, uh, my question, Abby's and Holly's, may be kind of similar, connected. Uh, my first, my question, the first one was, how do I remain disciplined with a ditch in my flesh of relying on my works? Because discipline is kind of an, a, a work of sorts that we're taking a step. But how do I do that?
0: Yeah, when you've been in the ditch of following your your works. Yes, uh, more than the love of God. So dealing with righteousness and uh, the one of the biggest keys is in Him we live and move and have our being. You have to renew your mind to how much God loves you, uh, how and and why you're doing things. You have mm-hmm. to renew your mind that the things and the works that you do are not a payment; they're a gift of your love back to God and, I, Lord, I want to love you. In other words, the why that you're paying them, why are you doing them, mm-hmm. changes that. You have to get a revelation of why. That's why you'll hear in that leadership meeting we had years ago uh, where I said, if your why is not because I love Jesus, then your why is going to fail over mm-hmm. time. Uh, you have to have that why change. And a lot of times, I, because I love Jesus is not enough until somebody, I mean, the Bible tells us this. It's not enough because you can't love him until you've received that love. So we have to receive that he loves us and he valued us even when we were a mess. He valued us even before that. He saw all of that stuff. He loved you. He's not holding your transgressions against you. You're not having to pay to get his love. You actually do things because you love him because he first loved us. Yeah, that
1: makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. Um,
0: I would say I would say, staying in him and staying in intimate fellowship with him on a regular basis really helps. That. Uh, if you're not in intimate fellowship, if the only intimate fellowship you get in is on Sunday morning, you're missing out. It needs to be all day, every day that you're in fellowship with God. You're praying in the Holy Ghost. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're walking with him. You're aware that he's with you and near you, and he'll never leave you. Or forsake you. He wants to help you. He wants to bring, answer your questions. He wants to give you wisdom. Uh, he's longing to do those things every minute of every day. He's not withholding any good thing. When you have a revelation of his great love and how much he's actually wants to be involved in our life, uh, that's very big. I mean, you had a statement, I think, this morning that you felt like, you know, you had felt like in the past that God was aloof with you know not interested in your life and and not really caring about what was happening. A lot of people feel that way. They don't really know God. They're not really in fellowship with God because they will fellowship with him based on how they believe about him. And mm-hmm. if they don't believe, if they think he's just a big mean God up in heaven playing games with our lives, they're going to believe in him on that way, which is not going to be very strong at all. Yeah. We have to get a revelation of who He is, and who we are to
1: Him. Amen. Amen. Abby's question was, how should someone best distinguish when God is leading them to discipline versus the flesh bringing up a problem as a distraction so that they aren't constantly beating themselves up for everything or hyper-alert for issues?
0: Well, again, it goes back to being in a fellowship with God. You have to recognize is this my flesh trying to pay a payment or is this the Holy Spirit convicting me over mm-hmm. this? You know, um, one thing to do is to learn to receive forgiveness by faith quickly. You must learn to receive forgiveness by faith quickly and not carry condemnation at all. If you're carrying condemnation uh, for any length of time, it's going it's to muddy the waters. You have to learn how to receive that forgiveness quickly. Mm-hmm. You know even here in, in 2 well not here Second Corinthians 5, it says he's not holding the world's transgressions against him. He's looking to forgive us, not looking to condemn us. And even if you go into John 3, you know, 16 is the verse that everybody knows, but verse 17 says, "He came into the world not to condemn it." you know but to save it he's not looking to condemn he's looking to forgive and when you see that that's a huge point put that in the comments you know god is not looking to condemn he's looking to forgive um when we don't have that straight a religious mind will say he's going to condemn us all he's holding us all guilty mm-hmm. and they you know they don't know the scripture in that way and but you've had that teaching in the church and so a lot of people believe that so amen
1: uh, I'm going to ask Holly's question next, okay. um, and then I'll go to Greg's because Holly's is similar. She said, How can a person stay in rest while working on discipline? That maybe is the same thing Abby asked.
0: Yeah, very similar. You have to know who you are and who Christ is, and you have to. Uh, Get revelation of that. you got to stop listening to the condemnation. If somebody's not in rest when they're trying to do it, they're in condemnation. Mm-hmm. They think that it's their doing right that makes it makes them right. They're already right in Christ. Let the rightness of Christ empower that yeah. for love. It goes back to our original answer as well. Love has to be the motivating factor, not I'm trying to get right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... it's it, can somebody be right or wrong? Absolutely, but in order to get right, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So you don't you don't get right on your own accord. It's not like okay, we couldn't we couldn't save ourselves, so Jesus had to come do His works for us. But now after the cross, I have to save myself again. Like no, then what's the point of the cross? There, what's the point of Him pouring out His righteousness? The point was. He would make us right in our spirit man, and through that right spirit man, the grace and the power of God would be uh, released so that we could walk out all godliness. Um, in Second Peter 1 and verse 3, if somebody can drop that also in the screen, but Second uh, Peter 1, 3, it says, He has already granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We already have this within us. If we're born again, we already have this within us now. So it's not that we're trying to get godly. If we're born again, you're already godly. It's just you don't believe that you're godly. You don't believe that you have the tools. You don't, ha- you don't believe that you have the ability to say no because the devil keeps telling you how bad you are and you're listening to that. So you have to go back to, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to get right Or am I already right and I'm doing this because I love God? And that has to be the motivating factor and the why or else our whole life gets off kilter. You can go back, you know, definitely in the righteousness series. Uh, Hear that. Learn that. You have to know what God has done, who you are, and who he is. Amen.
1: That's really helpful. Good. Amen. That's awesome. Uh, Greg's question said, what are some ways to seek out and be ready to receive correction beyond what we know to correct. If we all receive in part, how can we rely on others to help correct us?
0: Read it one more time. If you...
1: What are some ways to seek out and be ready to receive correction beyond what we know to correct? If we all re- receive in part, how can we rely on others to help correct us?
0: Sure. Well, we we do all see in part, but that doesn't mean that we don't get revelation by the Holy Ghost. So uh, you absolutely are going to have the Holy Spirit move through men, move through other people other than yourself. It's a part of God's way uh, that will show what you need in that moment. Um, So it might not be everything for the rest of your life, but it's kind of like uh, today he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. Just basically what he's saying in context is, I'm going to write on your heart today what to do. Do that. Just do that and it'll simplify. And so somebody can be in service and you can have a pastor who does also see in part in that way. That doesn't mean that we always have to stay that way. God can reveal you know it also it says we're moving from glory to glory from faith to faith uh our every step gets brighter and brighter and so what that means is we are constantly seeing more than we have before if we're living a proper christian walk so some people have used that verse as a very limiting factor well we only see in part you know we only do that and what they're what they're actually saying is you'll never achieve any revelation you'll never get to a place of revelation. Well, that's not. That's untrue. That's I would say completely unbiblical. There is revelation. I mean, Paul said it, Paul's whole thorn in the flesh was not because he was doing Christ's work. The Paul's thorn in the flesh, if you go back and read it, was because of the great revelation that I received. He received a great revelation of the grace of God, and this is this is one of those things where. We ha- we can't just say, well, that person's, that person's fleshly, so they'll never have a pure word to give to me of correction. That's completely untrue. If that's the case, then you can throw away every bit of this Bible because all of this came through man at some point. It originated with God, but then it came through man. So if that was true, this whole Bible would be false. So you can see the error of that teaching is very limiting and really ungodly, unchristlike. So, but people follow that. They think, well, nobody can tell me something because we all see in part in that way. But one of the things that you want to do is you don't have to keep this in mind. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Now, the Holy Spirit can speak to you directly, or the Holy Spirit can speak through somebody. You know, I hope and I pray and I believe for that the Holy Spirit speaks through me to directly touch people's uh, items and issues in their life on a regular basis. Here on this broadcast on Sunday morning, everywhere that I go, I want Him to be flowing through me. I'm believing for that. But and you know, I get testimonies all the time of that's happening. But my point is that the Holy Spirit doesn't have to just talk to you directly. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, not the flesh, not worldly logic. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, and he can speak to you directly, or he can speak through somebody else. And somebody else doesn't have to be a pastor. Um, when we were, you know, we didn't even know Luke was a boy yet. Uh, Nicole was not far enough along in her pregnancy for, to go have the ultrasound to see what the uh, sex of the baby was. Uh, Abigail spoke by the Holy Spirit, I would say. And she said, I know we can call him Lucas. And as soon as she said it, I felt the power, or she said, we can call him Luke, I think. And uh, I felt the power of God on that word. This is my daughter, You know, she's not a pastor at that time. She's not not an evangelist. She's not any of the fivefold ministry. But the Holy Spirit's voice was there, and I kind of knew. We kind of knew at that moment, this is a boy. And so we went in to go see the, you know, sonogram or whatever it's called, and and, uh, they said, it's a boy. And we're like, yeah, we kind of (laughs) knew, you know, because we felt the power of the Holy Spirit when she said that. And um, I don't know how it came across to her, but it may have just been like, I know what we can call him this. And this thought popped in her head, but I would say it came through the Holy Spirit, through her spirit, and we heard that. Now, one of the things, the reason why I bring up the Holy Spirit as the teacher is this, is he's the teacher, not our much learning, remember? So one of the things you see in the last days in Second Timothy 3 is they have much learning But never come to knowledge of the truth. So, a lot of people, they're trying to, again, go into work so much that they learn so much and they don't realize that they're a lot of times following the philosophies and the vain philosophies and deceits that the devil is handed off to many many men and they get wrapped up in it they get tied up in it they'll say well God told me gave me a brain so I could use it yeah he gave you a brain so that you could think on things worthy of praise and meditate on what he said that's what he gave us a brain for but his anointing brings that knowledge and revelation you know 1 John 2:20 you have the anointing and you know and so the pathway of learning in that way is I get into the presence of God, and the Holy Spirit will bring those things to me. Many times when people are trying to be so much in works and trying to discipline their life, they will actively try to find and make up things that they need to correct. Trust me when I say the Holy Spirit will bring plenty of things to you, and if you have a moment where you don't know what to correct— enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy the moment. Don't go searching for stuff. I've, I've been saying it a whole lot recently. He will not sit still. If he, you're his child, he disciplines those that he loves. He will not sit still. It won't be long. He'll bring up something uh, to correct the next course of action for you to correct. But many times what I find is that when people are so much worried over their discipline and getting right, then what they will do is they will look for problems. And what they don't realize is they're actually addicted to being wrong. They're addicted to being not valuable. They're addicted to drama. They're addicted to that and so they go and they try to create a problem that they need to fix and work on. Why? Because they find value in themselves in being actively working on themselves. In other words, if they're not working on themselves, They don't feel valuable. They should be able, and this is a place, this is a rest of God. You should be able to sit and do nothing at certain times and feel just as valuable as when you are seriously working hard. And if you can't do those two things, there's something out of balance. You should feel, because your value and your worth and your rightness was made up in Christ, when he gave his life for yours, not in anything we did. And so many times people are trying to put works together so that they feel good about themselves, so that they feel right. And they need to stop doing that. You have to look at, why are you doing this? Yeah, Anna, a drama-holic. That's funny. That's a, I like that. (laughs) So we, we, and I've done it. I'm, you know, my life, a lot of my life was in you know, some turmoil in my early years. And then I also found out that I'm really good at solving problems. I'm, I'm gifted at solving problems. And what, now watch this. I, and when a problem would come up, I would sense the anointing. And of course, afterwards, you would have people giving you praise. And, and it was good feelings attached to that. Which that's all that's all fine as long as you don't you know worship your feelings in that way. But I but here's what I found. Because I like that and I like the feeling of it, subconsciously, if there weren't any problems, I would create them. And I would create my own problems. Listen, if the Holy Ghost isn't telling you to go deal with something you know, don't, don't do it. I can't tell you how much that helped me because used to, I'd be like, no, that needs to get fixed in them. And this needs to get fixed in this team and this, this, and used to, I'd go like fixing all this stuff. And so I just kept people agitated all the time because everything's just like, Rah, you know, like this. And, and at one point I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. And uh, I'm not creating problems just to be creating problems so I can fix it. And this is what many times people are doing. They're, why are you doing that? If you, if you don't know what to fix and the Holy Spirit hasn't highlighted something to work on, if he has, just work on that. Don't, make, don't come up with a list of what you're going to do after that. Just work on that one thing. But if you don't have that thing, don't go searching for it. And I'll ask the question, did the Holy Spirit tell you to ask that question? Did the Holy Spirit tell you to fix that? Oh, no, I just thought I should. Stop. Stop. You know, if, Now, understand, the Holy Spirit has already told us a lot of stuff, so there's a lot of stuff in here that we can work on. But you can read over something and it not affect you, and then you read back in another month or two, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was there. I, I need to fix that. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit highlighting it now, but he didn't highlight it the last time you read it through. That means that's something you need to pay attention to and work on this time. You didn't see it last time. Why? Because the Holy Ghost didn't teach it to you and reveal it to you. So don't make up stuff to go and fix. Just as he brings things to you, as he highlights to you, fix that. Amen. Was there any other questions? Yes,
1: we had one more. Um, Barrett said... You are grinning. I, um, Abby can see my camera in the control room and she texted me laughing because she's like, your face. Apparently I was making faces while you were speaking because it was getting all up in my business. But okay. Um, Barrett said, what's the best way to establish a new habit of discipline? Uh, best practices to make it stick instead of a momentary flash in the pan of discipline.
0: Well, the, the first thing is determine, you know, when I was talking earlier about options, determine this, that when I make a change, it's a change forever. In other words, it's not just for a moment. I'm not hitting an arrival place where I make this change, then I never have to think about this. When God shows me something to change, I will change it and it will be changed and for the rest of the time. That's the first thing. Um the next thing is, so is when he brings something up, say yes quickly. Don't, don't meditate on it. Just when you know the details of it, you know the specifics of it and, it, and he's told you to do it, and you know exactly what that is, say yes to it quickly. Um, what I'm saying is sometimes the Lord will give us stuff, and we need to kind of work it out, and then we come to the end of it, and we're like, okay, this is what he's saying to do. At that point, say yes quickly. Uh, And that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we set that up as a habit and change it forever. One of the things that I do is when I have something to change, I will imagine, okay, you want me to change this. And I'll think this question, and you can put this in the comments, where in my life do I apply this change? And I'll think, okay, down the road, I'll probably face this, and this should be my answer. I'll face this, and this should be the direction that I go. I'll see this, I'll have this interaction, and this would be it. Where do I apply the change that the Holy Spirit is asking me to discipline? And by doing that, what it'll do is when you go down the pathway of life and that thing happens you'll actually kind of, your spirit man will be doing this anyway, but your brain also will kind of have a red flag. Oh, this is that decision. Now, at that moment, you're going to probably be tempted to not do it. And you have to, that's why I'll say, set your mind or have a mindset. Set your mind. When I see this, I will do it. And so at that moment, you're going to feel like making it an option. But you have to say, no, when I was under the anointing and when I had no temptation feelings, I knew what the right thing to do was, I made a decision, and now I will walk out that decision and just make that choice right then. Your flesh will be going, no, 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 don't do this. I want you to do that. And your flesh will be making noise, but just tell it to shut up and just make the right decision. And the more that you do that and and make that a habit, the easier and easier and easier it'll get. And they got quiet on me. Is that it? That's it,
1: yes, sir. Oh,
0: you got to tell me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. Yeah, that was the last question. Amen.
0: Well, good. Those are great questions. And I hope that that's helped you. Has this helped you today? And I have no idea what we'll title it. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, something about discipline, maybe. But uh, did this help you? Did you see how, can you see how the world? is not designed to go after godliness and that has now watch this and we have conformed our thinking to that and think about this it's not that we believe that we should go be ungodly but we're okay with not really making change quickly when god brings it up we're okay with kind of sitting still and can you see and even if you can't see it in your own self can you see it in the fruit that's in your life and in the church in the world? If we actually were doing that, would not our fruit be different? And this is why the Lord tells us, judge a tree by its fruit. You know, we don't judge trees by intentions. Well, I I just believe that I'm a good person. Yeah, you and most of the rest of the world. But most of the rest of the world's not going to heaven. They're not going to accept Christ. So our intentions are not a good judge of character, and it's definitely, but fruit is. If you have ongoing, consistent fruit, biblical fruit of these things, that shows a proof of a change, and that's what you want to see. I love, you know, um, one, of the, one of the greatest testimonies we ever had was a day when a buddy uh, and Serena came to the house. He says, I love coming over here. This is just a peaceful place. You know, and uh, now it'd be interesting to hear his hear his response now because since that time, that was when our relationship was new. Since that time, I have given him quite a bit of correction and discipline over the years uh, in that same place. So you start to develop memories of what happened there and everything. But can you still sense that peace that's in the house in that same way? It was a great testimony. We want to carry the fruit of God's peace in our life, and we will not do it if we don't discipline ourselves uh, in that way. We won't do it if we're not disciplining and giving ourselves to what the Holy Spirit's leading us to do. Um, you know, I'm trying to think how to say this. Uh, thank you, Miss Sherry. She said, "Very, this helped very much." Thank you. Um, you know, think about this. The Lord, the Lord tells you to fast, right? And you think, oh, that's good. I can fast, and I need to do that, and you know, put down my flesh, and you know, I yield to the Holy Ghost. He said, when you fast, uh, so I need to do that. And then you know, you get into the fast, and you feel like eating a cheeseburger or anything that sounds really, really good, and you don't you don't like it anymore. You know, you don't you don't like the idea of the fast as so much. You have to look back at the anointing when he said that and be disciplined and say, no, I'm doing this for a reason because he said it and I've made a commitment in that way. You have to make sure that you don't allow ungodly options to stay in there. You have to make sure that you are setting a precedent of discipline. And this is what the church should be doing. And can you see that we've allowed just from the fruit. And you see that we have allowed the thinking of the world to infiltrate the thinking of the church, and we've literally conformed our thinking to the world. Otherwise, we would have a different set of fruit. And I think a large portion of this happened uh, in uh, the 4th century, you know, 3rd and 4th century, when they made Christianity the national uh, religion because what they did was before that Christians were being slaughtered they were being fed to lions they were being all of this but the beliefs and the standing and discipline to believe God was so prove, proving of the thing of how powerful he was and what people believed that they they were having converts everywhere as soon as they said everybody you know Christianity is Rome's religion As soon as they did that, Christianity became basically comfortable. And what we saw was, I don't really have to change. And you saw this this downhill slide of discipline in the Christian's life. And and we have now grown up in the end result of that. And it's our job to change that. Can you imagine a world where Christians actually walked out discipline and the manifestation of God's love and power... In their life, I want you to think on that because that's our responsibility. Not be conformed to the thinking of the world. That I don't. That I don't like discipline. I, I don't want to do that. No, I love discipline. Why? Because I'm blessed. The people around me are blessed. I love it when God shows me something to correct. And think about that. We hadn't even talked about that. Is. What, what happens when you learn and you find out that you've been wrong? I don't like being wrong, but at the same time, now, today, I do like being wrong because when I find out that I'm wrong, when I find that out, all of a sudden what was holding me back, the ceiling is broken. That means instantaneously, when I find an error in my life, instantaneously, it means I now have upward room for growth. Well, I love that. And so this is, you know, we have to see that when a correction comes, that is not a bad thing. Now watch this, but when a correction determines your value and you feel devalued because somebody corrected you, you can get offended, but what have you done? You've made your works what values you instead of Jesus' work. And so that's why people don't like being corrected. That's why they don't like being told they're wrong most of the time is because they have found their value in their own works and that's what made them worthy, lovable, valuable instead of I'm lovable, valuable, and worthy because of Jesus. So you can see how that's flip-flopped and it becomes very important to understand that difference so that we can be who God's called us to be. So, Amen. That'll be enough for today. And uh buddy. Buddy said, "I love discipline because I'm not stupid." Was <laughs> put the verse up that did you just put it up? Okay. And uh yeah, Proverbs 12:1. 1, "One who loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates rebuke is stupid." <laughs> God would call somebody stupid? Apparently so. Apparently, so, one who hates one who hates rebuke or hates discipline, yep, so anyway, God wants you blessed. He doesn't want you walking in stupidity. He wants you blessed. He wants He wants the people around you blessed through you and by you and and on their own through Christ as well. We have to be okay with God's discipline. We have to change our mindset that this is something that I want, even if everybody around me is not doing it, I have a responsibility to be corrected by the Lord, to seek his correction, and make those changes so that we can grow. Glory to God, we love you so much. Share the broadcast, like, subscribe. I'm going to turn this over uh, to Marky to wrap it up and also uh, to do the offering today. You don't have to give. We sow this into the world, but if you would like to sow into it, you are welcome to. And uh, we're going to actually, today, we're going to be sowing into uh, about 180 to 200 churches over in the Philippines through the ministry. If you'd like to give to that, you're welcome to. And uh, we love you so very much. A matter of fact, everything that comes in today, uh, we'll give it, uh, give it to them. And uh, we love you. We'll see you tomorrow. Here's Marky.
1: Hey guys, I hope that you enjoyed that message. That was very powerful, very good. I enjoyed it very much. And we just want to give you the opportunity right now to increase one of God's ways of just blessing us is giving us the ability to sow. So when you sow financially today, you're not just giving a gift that you have no attachment to anymore. Like a field, you're taking a seed and you are planting it. And as you plant... God blesses that and and God gives you the ability to reap, to harvest that. So we just want to give you the opportunity to do that. There is no compulsion. There is no pressure. We just, because we love you and want to bless you, we give you the opportunity to allow God to increase your finances in this way. So if you would like to do that, if you really if you are led to do that there's no pressure but if you are led financially to give today specifically any amount we've made it very easy for you you can on cash app uh give at give www uh, we have venmo we have the website give www.org. we have the qr code we have paypal texting and even cryptocurrency So if you are led in any of those ways, I just want to believe God with you for that seed to be blessed and increased. So let's just pray right now. Thank you, Lord, for, thank you, Lord, that you give seed to the sower. And as people have purposed in their hearts to be sowers today and to to give today, thank you, Lord, that you supply seed to those sowers. And thank you, Lord, that your word says that you increase the harvest. You are the one that blesses us. So, Lord, we expect that blessing. We expect financial increase for your kingdom. Lord, we sow into your kingdom, even with all the sharing and liking, but even specifically, Lord, finances right now. We put purpose in our heart to give toward your kingdom and in Jesus' name, we believe that every seed that is sown today is blessed, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will men give into their wallets? In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for your system of blessing. And thank you, Lord, for every every sower today. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of increasing the your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being obedient. Thank you for watching today for your support and helping us to reach people and get the gospel out. If there's anyone that the Lord is laying on your heart, please send this broadcast to them. Like the broadcast, subscribe if you're not subscribed, and make sure to watch our videos because We want you to increase. We love you and we will see you tomorrow again at 1130 for another wonderful Lunch Plus day. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. I have never 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 I'm taking my eyes